Hello and welcome to the Wired Biohealth Podcast. My name is Jacqueline Hall and I am joined by your host, Dr. Evelyn Higgins. Hey, Jackie. So great to be with you today, Doc. So, Wired Biohealth. We talk about all things biological related to mental health, trauma, and addiction. We know that it's a biopsychosocial disease when we talk about behavioral health complexities, but what does that even mean, biopsychosocial? So there's what makes these problems so complex mm -hmm. is just that biopsychosocial. So psychosocial looks like make-believe we have a triangle, right? On the top, bio piece. What does that mean? Right. Right? Till now, all we've talked about was, well, you need to sleep eight to nine hours a night. You need to get good, dense nutrition. Mm -hmm. You need to stay hydrated. Exercise is good. And all those things are great. Right. And they're common sense, but no one has addressed someone's unique physiology. Yeah. So that's the biological piece. Psychosocial is a talk, right? Okay. What's your environment? And let's talk this through. But all of those pieces have to be addressed. And until now, no one has looked at that biological piece. Seven and a half billion people in the world, mm -hmm. seven and a half billion unique sets of DNA, yet we treat everyone like they're exactly the same. Yeah, it's this one size fits all t-shirt almost, which yeah. doesn't even work for t-shirts. Why is it gonna work for and, your and, body? And in this world we live in today, we want everyone to express their uniqueness. And right. We do just the opposite it's in a good reality point. when we're talking about their physiology. Yeah. So we all have genetic strengths. Mm -hmm. We all have genetic weaknesses. Right. And this, those drive us to what the blueprint of our physiology looks like. Yeah, I love that you say the word blueprint because that's really what we get down to at Wired BioHealth through our custom panel, figuring out which of these biomarkers require support and then create a plan of recommendations to optimize those weaknesses. Right, so until now, again, everything has been diagnosed by- Vocabulary. Vocabulary, and yep. what if you and I don't have the same meaning for a word? Yep. What if the vocabulary of someone influential in this individual, like if it's a child, mm -hmm. if it's the parent's vocabulary, if it's a teacher's vocabulary, yep it changes the game. Absolutely. And then when we think about a child, how are they supposed to supposed to express their right. feelings? They probably don't have the vocabulary right. deep enough to fully explain what they mean. And even if they can, it's not like any adult has this x-ray vision machine to figure out physiologically where in your DNA is there an issue that we need to support. You have to test. Right. So depending on the, the child's age, it could be a tantrum. Right. It could be... Um, acting out in school. Mm -hmm. It could be you're going into your kid's room and you're smelling something different coming out of the room and that's how they're describing not feeling well. Right. Because nobody is going to reach outside of themselves to bring something in unless this doesn't feel right. Yeah. I mean, we look at the new drug, the street name Frankenstein, Yeah. that oh. 10 times is more potent than street fentanyl. So it's a synthetic opiate that is far stronger than fentanyl. We're talking about the synthetic as well. This tells us that it's not the drug that's the problem. That's its own problem. But parallel to that problem is the reason people are self-medicating with drugs to begin with. Right. I mean, we're finally having the open dialogue conversations about fentanyl, finally. Mm -hmm. But we think that that's the answer to all of it. That's education. Right. And, and that's the first step. We need to have an open conversation. We need to remove the stigma and say, whether you think it's right, wrong, it doesn't happen in your backyard, it doesn't happen in your zip code, it right. does, Yep. right? But that's just education. Right. 
if someone needs to, as I said, take something from the outside to bring it inside to feel different, there's a problem inside of them, unique to them. Right. And when we do the talk therapy, which is incredibly important, when we do the counseling, incredibly important, that doesn't get to what inside hurts. We can talk about empirically, this makes me feel this way, but that doesn't tell us what biochemicals are making those feelings. Right. Have you been, have you grown up in an extremely stressful environment that never changed? Your cortisol levels are gonna change. That is going to have impact on your androgens, your sex hormones. That's gonna have impact on your neurotransmitters. On below all this foundationally are your genetic strengths or weaknesses. Right. All that together is creating your unique desire to go outside of yourself. So in your TEDx talk that's linked below, it's understanding the biomarkers of addiction. You talk about a biomarker evaluation report through Wired BioHealth being used as a prevention tool. Can you explain what you mean by having that information early be a prevention tool for potential mental health or drug use? Sure. So um, when I when have young people that have had it done and we're going over the results, I'm like, so here's the deal. You're in an age now where your buddies in school are going to say, great idea. This mm -hmm. is what we're doing after school. Meet us. And it's going to be whatever the illicit substance they could get their hands on. And everybody sits there. They do whatever it is. Next day, you're like, whoa, mm -hmm. I felt really good. I want to do that again. Your buddy's like, no, no, we're cool. We're, we're moving on. Today, we're going to go do this. You're like, no, no, no. Let's do what we did yesterday because that felt so good for you. Mm -hmm. You don't have the wiggle room. We look at the biomarker evaluation report and say right here, right. objectively, you don't have the wiggle room to do what your friends can do and get away with it. It is going to impact you differently mm -hmm. to where you're going to want to continue this behavior. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And now, depending on where you get your data, one in four or one in five Americans have a diagnosed mental health condition. So let's not even touch the undiagnosed. Well, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Post-COVID. Yeah. The numbers that came out from the Kaiser study are now 53% of people suffer anxiety or depression. And that does not shock me. Yeah. I mean, you just walk around in society and you see how unkind mm -hmm. people are. Yep. Where was I? Um, oh, in a Dunkin' Donuts the other day, picking up coffees to go meet a friend and two gentlemen behind me, I use that term loosely, um, said what they wanted and then they wanted a straw. And they go, oh, is this a straw that kills the turtles? And the woman was like, um, it's the straws that we have. And he goes, the ones that kill the turtles. I knew what his point was. Right. We all get it. Right. But he kept driving it home to this one. I'm like, I almost stepped in, yeah. which I do. Right. <laughs> And it's like, you know, this woman is making about 10 bucks an hour. Yeah. Give her a break. Right. She's not the CEO of Dunkin' Donuts. Right. She doesn't change policy for Dunkin' Donuts, but it's that kind of unkind behavior. It's right. no shock that the numbers support 53% of people with anxiety and depression because the way people act out, right. they're seeing it. Yeah. seeing it. Yeah, absolutely. These environmental stressors have just exacerbated whatever cards you are playing to begin right. with in life. So that's the whole epigenetic portion of things, right? So we can look at, mm -hmm. here's what your DNA is. Here's your cards, go play them out. Yeah. What we now know, which is the most cool part of science, I think, is the study of epigenetics. Mm -hmm. We now know that we can change the expression 
of that DNA. Wow. So when someone comes to me and says, you know, I've never seen this behavior in my child until mm -hmm. they turn 21. Mm -hmm. 20, totally different kid from one to 20 years old, different kid, 21 goes upside down. Okay. Well, what was going on at that time? Went off to college. They were making decisions for themselves and you always made it for them. You didn't gradually let them right. learn how to make decisions. They're doing their own laundry. They're paying their own bills. They have to go to sleep. Right. Does that happen? They now are trying to manage what they're there for, right. which is actually schooling and potentially a job. Mm -hmm. And now there's all these new stressors in that individual's life. Right. It was always in the cards. It never played out because those genes never got turned on, turned off switch for that epigenetic component to show itself. Wow. So when these switches get turned on, can we turn them back off? Mm -hmm. And so that, how does that happen? So that's all part of what we do. Okay. Wired biohealth, right? So we look at biochemical pathways of these and say, what do we need to do to support them? To what level do we need to support them? For how long do we need to support them? Wow. So that is a super precise way to address mental health. Right. People, a buzzword because there's so much information on the internet about methylation. Okay. Right? One small part of what we look at, I think 14 different genes we look at, whereas like people say, well, what about I did a 23andMe? Mm -hmm. Like that's a recreational test. A recreational. Right. This okay. is a clinical test. Okay. We're looking at a lot more because okay. those things can become a little bit dangerous if you say, well, I'll never get Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. I don't have that gene. Well, mm -hmm. there's other things that come into play there, but yeah. methylation is a big buzz on the internet. So a lot of people know about it. Um, what we know if that can affect you, mm -hmm. your DNA, right? So if methylation cycle has to be supported to what level, because we're not looking at just one or two, we're looking at 14 genes that are all invested in that methylation cycle. What does methylation do? It expresses normal gene expression wow. so it it allows nutrients to be properly absorbed and utilized just those two things alone yeah so then if because i have heard of the mthfr you're saying mm -hmm. we look at there's more genes than just that one related to methylation so if somebody has a defect in their methylation can we see these mental health things like depression anxiety focus sure, sure. So um, related to the breakdown of things like dopamine, serotonin, epinephrine, norepinephrine, all of that is related. Wow. So once you find out that methylation is an issue and you support that biochemical pathway, you're saying that we don't necessarily have to jump to a benzodiazepine for anxiety and antidepressant for depression. We can figure out where those deficiencies are and then support them? Correct. But it's more than just looking at that methylation. Okay. Right. It's looking at all of it together. Wow. Yeah. So let's say somebody is not in Palm Beach County where our studio is, they're able to do this test. We can drop ship to almost anywhere in the world. So let's say you've got that 21 year old college student, we can actually send test kits to their to dorm room yeah. and yeah. collect. Okay. So then if there's a remote process of supporting someone's physiology, how long does it take for somebody to start to notice these differences? You know, quite often within the first week or two, symptomatically okay people are feeling difference we um do it in phases and each phase builds upon the other phase but symptomatically people are feeling differently pretty early 
And that makes a lot of sense because you hear about people who are on a slew of antidepressants. They've tried this one, they've tried that one, and nothing seems to be working. And there's that searching, right? Can you explain a little bit more about that? Sure. So if someone has the searching, it's going to make potentially make an SSRI drug, an antidepressant, less effective for them. Wow. So someone that's been on an antidepressant, first off, was serotonin the problem? Mm. Was it the only problem? Mm. Was it serotonin, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine? We don't know unless we measure and do labs. But by a conversation, mm. someone decided serotonin was the problem, put right. them on an antidepressant, still never felt better, switched antidepressants half a dozen times and doubled them and went through the whole gamut that people experience still not better that person starts to own it's me mm -hmm. i just don't want to feel better i'm the problem yeah when in reality it was never going to be as affected for that individual right if we knew that from the beginning wouldn't that make such a difference in that person's life absolutely and now that we're talking about that early 20s age that's when a lot of females are typically diagnosed with complex behavioral health conditions not because anything has changed other than their vocabulary and their stressors in their life right so that's when we start seeing the borderline personality the bipolar the depression the anxiety and then you're just put on these meds based on, I feel this way, let's try this. Right. And that's not right because there is such a stigma in behavioral health and a lot of it has to do with the lack of equitable healthcare tools. Absolutely. You know, and having these kind of conversations that we're having here, Jackie, or really what start to change that stigma reduction. People can say all day, there's no stigma. Yeah, there is, there is, there is. I mean, there's all, you know, name calling that mm -hmm. goes on. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's like anything else. If somebody had cardiac disease, we wouldn't sit there making fun of them. Right. Right. Um, if somebody had diabetes, we wouldn't say, why are you so weak? Right. But somehow when it comes to mental health, that's okay to do. Yeah. So that stigma still exists. And it's because there is an inequity. Um, one of the reasons we started what we do is because all the other areas of healthcare were advancing, mm -hmm. but within the behavioral health, and the addiction world, nothing was because that stigma still exists mm -hmm. of you got yourself there, get yourself out. And we were not using technology to advance this area of healthcare. Right. And that's what we need to change. And we did. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're familiar with Wired Biohealth, you know our beginnings at Wired for Addiction. So reason being, we were very heavily involved and still are in the justice system. So I am on the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, as well as chairman of the board of directors for the Florida Justice Center. And we provided our tools to criminal defense attorneys to show objective documentation of a condition better treated medically rather than simply penalized legally recognizing that there's a whole span and spectrum of behavioral health complexities before somebody arrives at the end point of addiction, we said, let's make our services available to them as well. And that's why I think it's so important to look at this as a spectrum and why we do what we do at Wired Biohealth, because people need these tools to get rid of that stigma, empower them, their loved ones, and really create solutions around problems that can turn someone's life upside down. Absolutely. So I think that's a great place to leave it, Doc. Thank you so much for your time today. As always, it's been a lot of fun. 
Thanks. Absolutely. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Yeah. So give us a call. It's 1-888-841-7099 or visit wiredbiohealth.com to schedule a complimentary virtual consultation with one of our health consultants. Also be sure to subscribe at the bottom. Visit us on our socials at Wired Biohealth and we'll see you next time. Sounds like a plan. Thanks guys.